morning, and then we're going to hear a, a testimony. And basically what I want to talk about is the fact that out of, um, out of the cross, there's a resurrection, uh, out of the resurrection at least, there is a life flow that comes, that comes upon Christians, but it, it actually has to be received, and it has to be gone after, it has to be accessed by faith. And without, without us doing that, we can, we can get an intellectual assent of who Jesus is and what he did, but we don't go on to live the kind of life that he wanted us to live. live. So I want to get you thinking a little bit this morning, and I, I'm, I'm not getting at anybody with any of the things I want to say. They're just jokes that I picked up off the internet, and, and they're not personal at all, all right? So if it gets a little bit close, just laugh twice as loud and, and just let it go. But this is the first one. It says this. This is just to to help you to to settle in and to think. Some people are kind, polite, and sweet-spirited until you try to sit in their seats at church. (laughs) Many folk want to serve God, but only as advisors. And the good Lord didn't create anything without a purpose, but mosquitoes must come pretty close. Do you reckon? And when you get to your wit's end, you'll probably find that God lives there. And people are funny. They want to be in the front of the bus, the middle of the road, and the back of the church. (laughs) Here's a good one. Quit griping about your church. You couldn't go if it was perfect. (laughs) And the phrase that's guaranteed to wake any audience up, and in conclusion... If your left hand doesn't know what your right hand is doing, you should consider running for parliament. (laughs) Some minds are like concrete, thoroughly mixed up but permanently set. (laughs) You know, I don't know why some people change churches. I mean, what difference does it make which one you stay home from? A lot of church members, I love this one, a lot of church members are singing, standing on the promises, but they're just sitting in the premises. There's the faith, you see. Faith, faith. It's not just up here. It's about faith. God loves everyone, but he probably prefers fruits of the Spirit over religious nuts. (laughs) And if God is your co-pilot, why don't you swap seats? (laughs) don't wait for six strong men to take you to church (laughs) you know if ever there was a day that should motivate us can I have a little bit of the brightness out of these lights I'm finding it hard to see Um, if ever there was a day to to um, that should motivate us to be able to follow God wholeheartedly it would be this one Carl was just excited this morning as he talked to us about about this day, um, Resurrection Sunday, and it's because it really is exciting to him. It's fired him up, and I wonder how much it's fired you and me up. You know, if God loves us that much that he would go through all of Friday through to Sunday, you know, why would we want to hold back anything of our lives from serving him? I want to preach out of a a scripture here in Romans chapter 5. Um, And I've preached out of it a number of times before, and it should be able to come up on the screen. Romans 5. 
It says this, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, can I have these lights on, please? When we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man. Though for a good man or woman, someone might just possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Can you take those lights down up there, please? Sorry to, for the backwards and forwards and, um, with it, but it is really hard to see with the glare. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we've been justified by his blood, how much more? Can you say that? How much? How much more? Say it again. How much more? How much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, when we were God's enemies, these ones were really helpful. more (laughs) will we be saved from God's wrath Um, through him if when we were God's enemies we were reconciled to him through the death of his son say it with me how much more having been reconciled shall we be saved through his life for if by the trespass of the one man Adam death reigned through that one man say it with me how much more Will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? The phrases I want you to to come to here is saved through his life. Now, Good Friday was about the death, and we looked at that in some detail. And today is about the life, saved through his life, saved through the resurrection. And how much more, how much more, how much more reigning in life for those who, who... have received God's abundant provision of grace. That is coming to a personal relationship with Jesus Christ where we say, Jesus, I'm not asking for the whole world. I'm not running for, you know, Miss Miss World. I'm not asking for every world peace. I'm asking for me, for my life, that I could be forgiven and then receive the the, um, gift of righteousness and being able to reign in life. This is why I love the scripture. The thought of reigning in life. Would anyone like to reign in their life? Not not under the effect of what comes at them, but actually reigning in life through Christ Jesus. And it talks about, yes, the cross did this, but how much more will resurrection power in our life come? So to enable us that when we know that we're righteous, anyone here righteous in Christ Jesus? If you haven't got your hand up, you need to read the scripture and read it again and read it again. Jesus Christ has given you righteousness. You are righteous. It's a positional righteous, but you can live in it. And if you mess up, you can be forgiven and you are righteous. When you know that, you begin to live at another level. You begin to, you begin to reign in Christ. In other words, what I'm saying today is life flows out of Easter. 
It always has. When Easter hadn't actually taken place, Jesus, when, when you go back pre-2,000-something years ago and you go back into the Old Testament, people's salvation still depended on what was going to happen in the future. And now it's already happened, and our, our salvation, although we're a long way past it, still comes back to what Jesus did when he died and then rose again. Life flows out of Easter. Everything changes out of Easter. Transformed lives for you and me come out of Easter. But it has to be appropriated by faith. It's not enough just to say this. You can become religious if you give your life to Jesus Christ and you think, well, I just have to live by the principles. I just have to do the right things. I just have to stop doing those things and do these things. You will become a very religious person. But real life where you can reign in life comes out of a relationship with Jesus that's ongoing. Does that make sense? And it comes out of this event that took place when the stone was rolled back and Jesus came back to life. You know, we have to know the facts of what happened at Easter time. But then, once you know the facts, to be able to reign in life, take a really good run and climb the facts and then jump off them into faith. Jump off them into the things that God speaks to you about, the plans that God has for your life, the opportunities to witness and share about him that he brings, the adventure that he wants to take you on in your life. He doesn't want us religion, religious. He wants us to have a real relationship of life that continues to flow out of Easter. But we have to know the facts. You know, when I went to um, Israel, it, it is so clear that Jesus lived. But it doesn't matter what country we actually live in, um, the facts are very, very concrete about Jesus Christ. He's the most attested human being to ever be on this planet. There is so much information about his life and about what took place. He really lived. They split history, the counting of history, into the before Jesus Christ and post Jesus Christ. There's no other person in history that that's ever happened about. He divided the timing of history and how human beings record it in most of the world. He lived. And Easter is proof that Jesus was who he said he was, that he was God. He was God in the flesh, and that he came to earth to save us. And you know, the events that occurred um, in, in dramatic and quick succession at Easter weekend were the trial of Jesus, then the death of Jesus, and finally the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So let's look at all of these with their implications. Firstly, the trial. There wasn't just one trial. Tell me when to stop. One, two, three... How many trials? I'm at six. Six would be a good place to stop. I heard that. Six trials. There was Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, was the first. And then Caiaphas, the high priest, was the, was the next. And then the Sanhedrin, the, the religious supreme court, was the next. All of these happened. Quick succession of, of bringing and and. Um, and accusing of Jesus, and, and then taken to Pilate, um, who was the governor of Jerusalem, the Roman governor. And then he didn't want to deal with Jesus, so he sent him to Herod, the governor of, the, of Galilee. Um, and, and then Pilate, uh, sorry, Herod couldn't find anything wrong with him, and he sent him back to Pilate. 
So six different trials. And at the end of those trials, what did they find to accuse him of? Let's give him the death sentence for this reason. What was it? Nothing. The one thing that they kept, nothing, the one thing. You Stay with me. <laughs> the one thing the Jews could say was he claims to be God and that in our, raw, our law is something that a person should be killed for, so kill him. He claims to be God. And that's what he was crucified for, that he had a claim that he was God. And the Bible, in fact, after Jesus had died, uh, there must have been a number of years as they were trying to work out that the, how does this work? And, and what we've come to in terms of, of church is that he was fully man and fully God. But Philippians tells us the fully God part, he never lost, but he took off from himself, like taking off a robe and taking off his crown and taking off his cool shoes. What brand would they be? We don't know, but we'll get there one day. And he took off and he took off these things till he was still God, but without his power and attributes that he would have just had as being part of God, fully God and fully man, and fully as a man, he was now on trial and about to be killed. The sole reason that Jesus went to the cross was because he claimed to be God. You know, everyone who has ever been presented with Jesus has already made some kind of decision about him. C.S. Lewis said, you either believe he's a liar or a lunatic or you believe that he is the Lord, that he's God. But you cannot say about Jesus that he's a good teacher because good teachers don't ever make claims to be God. Any teacher that makes claims to be God in a classroom is the kids and the teacher are heading for major problems. He's either a liar, he thought he was God, but he wasn't, or he knew he wasn't God, and he tried to deceive, or he was a lunatic who thought he was God, or he really was God. Those are the three possibilities you can come up with. And he allowed himself to be put on trial so there'd be no doubt about which one of those three he was. And then there's the death. And after a night of beatings and mockings and being crowned with painful thorns, and Jesus was was crucified, as we know. And crucifixion is still um, probably the most brutal and torturous death that's ever been devised by men. His hands were stretched out wide and, and then the, uh, against the cross and then into this part of the wrist, into the, before the bone there, it was placed. And apparently it cuts uh, an important nerve piece that, that goes across. And he was stretched out. And a person wouldn't stay on a cross alive for very long if they didn't bend the knees and then put a big spike through both feet so that when you were running out of breath and couldn't breathe anymore, you could drag your body and push with your feet to get up again, to, to take some more air in. Otherwise, you would quickly um, die of, of lack of oxygen uh, within. And he, he survived six hours in that condition. And they came up with a new name, excruciating, which means out of the cross, pain out of the cross. Excruciating pain. That word was invented because of crucifixion. 
In the case of Jesus, they didn't have to actually break his legs um, because he was going to die as a perfect sacrifice, not an imperfect sacrifice. And even at the very end, they found that he had given up his own spirit. He had, he had brought his own end uh, to, to pass. And to be able to make sure they got that spear, didn't they? And they rammed it into his side. And water and then blood uh, came out of the cavity, which doctors say can only happen when the heart actually rips. The aorta and other parts just completely rip, and the water and the blood mix, and it came out like that. So Jesus died of a broken heart for people, for us, for me. For you. And then the resurrection. After Jesus died, they took the body down, they put him in the tomb, and a giant millstone was set in front of the cave. And when I was in Israel, um, no one knows whether it's the garden tomb or whether where they built a church on the top of, um, of the mountain. Uh, that's, you wouldn't know it's a mountain, it's shops and everything else, but you're climbing up, climbing up, climbing up to, the, to this church. And, and whether the tomb is there or there, but but man, the garden tomb scene is just amazing for its peace and its beauty and, and its, its incredibleness. And then just at the edge of the garden tomb, you look up and you can see um, a skull in the hills. The, the rocks are actually shaped like a skull and the, where the eye sockets are is deep enough that it's black. And so the, the, the nose, a lot of it's come away in 2,000 years, but the mouth is... You can see that and you can see the eyes. And so very likely the place of Golgotha is this, is this place of the garden tomb that's there. It's a very real part of history. But don't think that what we're doing today is remembering some, that this is a memorial to a nice, good religious teacher who lived 2,000 years ago. It's a celebration of the fact that he is not dead. He is alive. He went into the grave and he came out of the grave and the whole world changed. Of all the religions that are followed in the world today, Jesus is the only founder of a religion who's not in his grave. Muhammad died and stayed dead. And interestingly, the Quran talks a lot and says that Jesus, the Quran says Jesus is the one who's going to come back at the end of time. Muhammad's in the grave, but he wrote about Jesus returning. When I was there, I was fascinated because the prophecies are that Jesus will enter the temple that's there, yet to be rebuilt. There's a Muslim mosque on the top of the Temple Mount, but he's going to come in through a certain gate. But the Palestinians have put a, a uh, for hundreds of years, have put a grave, um, burial sites there. So Jesus has to walk through the burial sites, which will make him unclean. It's kind of a, how do we stop this happening event? But I don't know what God's going to do, whether he just goes, Bup! And new land comes up and Jesus walks through. Who knows how it actually works out. But Jesus will do everything that he said he would. Buddha died of food poisoning, possibly from bad pork. And then he stayed dead. Confucius died of natural causes when he was 71 or 72. He was so grieved over the death of one of his sons, but he stayed dead. Only Jesus died and proved his divinity. Divinity and every word that he said 
by coming back to life. The, the people standing around when he was on the cross, what did they say to him? Come, if you're the son of God, come down off the cross and we'll believe in you. And he's just going, i got some, something better than that. Just wait, i got something better than that. And not only Jesus, but saints from the Old Testament came up out of, out, of, out of the tombs as well and wandered the streets of Jerusalem. People would have seen their grandparents. Imagine being a soldier. You know that you've put them on the cross and you can't go down that street because I think he's there. Imagine how you'd feel. We killed you. I'm really sorry. I'm so sorry. It's a time that they just, it turned history. It turned the world on its head. Absolutely did. The Bible says he showed himself to 500 people. Wow. But in one sense, Jesus is still on trial. He's on trial in the hearts and minds of every person who's not yet acknowledged him as the Son of God, the Savior of the world. What is your verdict about Jesus Christ today? You see, Easter boils down to just two issues. Is Jesus who he said he was? Is he God or is he actually a madman and a, a lunatic and a liar? And if he is God, when are you going to start fo following him with your life? And I want to speak to you today and say coming to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to McDonald's makes you a And I had 15 or 16 years in church until Jesus suddenly, the awareness that this was true, came upon me. And he began to speak to me. And I realized I could not get to heaven by my brother's faith. I couldn't be a good younger brother and say, look, I'm just with him. I'm with him. I'm with him. I had to decide who was Jesus to me. And if you've never done that before, you can do that today. Why don't you give your life to him today? Today, all of us sit in judgment of Jesus Christ, just as Pilate did. We have to decide whether he is who he said he is. 2,000 years ago, Jesus' body disappeared. And then he was seen alive, again, as I've been saying, by hundreds of people. And his appearance transformed a broken, dispirited group of guys and girls into people who willingly lived their lives to share about his resurrection. They were absolutely terrified. They wanted to just disappear until Jesus resurrected, and then they became the most amazing men and women in history. They were transformed. And they went out and they transformed Turkey. If you've got a mental picture of the map, they transformed that landscape. Absolutely, preaching about Jesus Christ. And then they went on and they transformed Europe. And I've only been to Europe once, but I was amazed walking through Spain and Portugal uh, rather than flying and, and, and uh, in cars and buses and things, but walking, how many churches there are in every part of Europe. They transformed Europe. And then they went, men and women went on and they transformed the then known world. And eventually, the disciples themselves faced recanting. Recanting is when the soldiers have you and they say to you, 
either renounce Jesus Christ or we will cut your head off or we will torture you or we will put you on a cross, but we will execute you unless you say that you're making it up and it's not true. How many of them recanted? How many were killed saying, you can kill me, but Jesus is waiting for me? (laughs) And they lost their lives giving their lives because they could not go back on what they knew to be true. This is history. Jesus transformed people. We know with Paul, um, I think I preached on it last Easter, he was out to kill and put in jail and stomp on and stop anybody, Jew or Gentile, who was talking about Jesus Christ until Jesus appeared to him and he became the most powerful, ardent Christian probably that the world has ever known. He went from this to that. Jesus is in the business of transforming people. He's transformed so many of you sitting before me today. And I just want to invite Jono Monk uh, to come up and to to share, because I've asked Jono just to talk about the transformation that Jesus has made in him. Thank you. Hi, church. So, yeah, I just want to share what uh, Jesus has done to change my life because it is nothing short of radical. I grew up in a completely atheist home and was completely raised by school and TV. Um, I had no contact at all with general Christianity in any level. And I uh, ended up leaving school at 15 and got into a life of just, if I wasn't at work, I was getting high and getting drunk. Eventually, I started to have supernatural experiences getting into the new age, um, because of a belief in New Age practices and uh, experience with what you'd call UFO phenomena, to the point where I was experiencing entities in my room at night, and I could see balls of light all around me all the time. Um, and all my New Age teachers were teaching me this was reaching to my spirit guides, and this was reaching into higher consciousness, and I needed to just push into it, even though the presence was completely evil, to the point I would lay a night in terror, and even have a feeling of complete crushing on my body. Then what happened while getting into my new age, I felt like I had to keep sharing all this, the gospel of the new age, and trying to bring people to where I was about reaching their own ascended masters and spirit guides. And I came across a forum where a Christian was completely debunking and schooling everything that was thrown at them. And I was first angry. It's like... You don't know. (laughs) But I ended up trying to, well, argue back. So I went looking for evidence of the claims I could make. I was having experiences. This was true. But I couldn't find anything. So I decided to take his claim seriously. And I began to find real evidence, real truth that Jesus exists as a historical person and of the works of the early church. And I couldn't believe it real history of events that actually happened and that I had no idea of. So I said to myself, I have to reconsider everything I think I know. So I read probably about three apologetics books and listened to anything I could find. And I remember the moment. I was in a staff room at work reading an apologetics book by Ian Wishart. And I was about halfway through and I got to the point where the information was just overwhelming. I could no longer ignore that Jesus had existed 
and these things are very true. But was Jesus God? So I closed the book and I said, Jesus, I don't believe you are who you say you are, but if you are, I have to know. I have to know. And luck would have it, that week we were at a barbecue with my um, now wife, and um, she was talking to some friends who used to go to church with her, I think. Um, and Tim was saying, oh, I miss church, I feel bad, you know, I haven't been back for such a long time. And I said, just go back, just go back. And she had no idea during this time that what God was beginning to prep in my heart. So she said, look, I know what you like, but I'm going to church. And you can either come or not like it, but that's fine. And I said, you know what? I might take along. And I remember, this is the most amazing thing, because I had been in the presence of Christians before, you know, through work or other events. But I walked into that church, and God absolutely highlighted the darkness that was in me, and the light and the power of the Holy Spirit that was in everyone else in that building. And I knew I was different, and I had, I had a real problem, and I was separate from God. When I heard the gospel that night, God was absolutely preaching to my heart, and I couldn't get my hand up fast enough for that old call. And ever since, my life has not been the same. I was radically saved. Tam and I even moved apart so we could get baptised and we spent a year and a half apart without any more sexual contact or even over-the-top kissing till we were married because we decided that God was who he says he was, Jesus is who he says he is, and our lives radically transformed. And I can't encourage anymore that anyone who's sitting on the fence or not sure Give Jesus the opportunity to prove to you that he is who he says he is. Because if you cry out to him, even in your unbelief like I did, I believe he will meet you in it. Because Jesus is who he says he is, and he will not just change your life, he will radically change your life. You will become a new creation, you will have new desires and a new heart, and the old you will be dead. The old Jono is gone, long dead. Hallelujah. And maybe there's just someone here today. Maybe there's one or two people here today that you kind of know, Flip, I need that. Jono's talking to me. I need that sort of transformation. I need a new start. The amazing thing about the gospel is this. God didn't make us evil. He made us good. Adam and Eve messed up. And it's affected human beings every human being ever since then. So we are in trouble. We are broken. And only Jesus can forgive us. And then he begins to heal the brokenness that's within us as well. Could we just have every head bowed and every eye closed? Because today would be a great day for anyone who's never made that decision and made it personal for them to be able to do it. And if what I'm saying and what Jono spoke about just then is, is kind of real to you, and you know that God's just tapping on your heart right now. I would love to be able to pray for you and to be able to introduce you to Jesus who will introduce you to his Father and your life will have that transformation 
that we talk about every week. Just raise your hand if, if you want to be able to come to know through Jesus, come to know Jesus and come to know his Father today. Just raise your hand. Don't, don't be put off by, hey, I've been here for so long. People will think I'm silly. No, we've all got to have our moments. We've all got to have the time when we know the Holy Spirit's speaking to us. So if that is something you want to do today, God bless you. God bless you. Is there anyone else here today? Today is a great day. Great day to give your life to Jesus. Wow. Okay, you can, you can look up. Can I have the band come up for the band? Come up with Carl. <laughs> and I'm going to pray a prayer that I, we can all pray it for that person who wants to give their life to Jesus today. But, but let's, let's just stand together. Jesus, thank you so much, so much that this truth has become absolutely real for someone today and that you are, are drawing them into, into your kingdom. So let's just pray this together. Jesus, I believe you died on the cross and paid the penalty for my sin so I could be forgiven. I open my heart wide to you and I ask you to come inside of me. Forgive me and wash me clean and make me yours. Thank you for now. Thank you for tomorrow and on. And thank you for eternity in the future. I'm your son or your daughter. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Now, to every Christian, what I'm saying is this. There's more. There is more. So much more. Reigning in life that you can do. It's easy to believe, oh yeah, God will do all these wonderful things for others and to even pray for others. It's harder to believe that he'll do it for me, that he loves me that much, that his grace and his favor is over me, that there are jobs in my career in, the, in front, in, in the future for me because of him, that there is financial provision because of him, that there is healing because of him. That his love is, is all going to be all around me and looking, uh, making a way for me as a way maker because of Jesus. So I just want to encourage you this morning. When you think about the resurrection, the tomb, and we often see pictures of light just streaming out of it. Grab a hold of some of those beams in your imagination and say, God... I want to flow in that. I want that life, the more, over me as well. Is that good? Father, I pray again, Lord, that for every person who's saying yes in this aspect to you today, Lord, that you'd change it from an intellectual understanding and that, Lord, the longest foot or 30 centimeters down to our hearts would take place. God, we want to hear your voice. We want to know you um, Intimately, Lord, really specially, and to feel your love, and to walk into an adventure with you that takes us way beyond where we've ever been in the past. 
And we do it because we know there is more in the cross that is available to us. And we say, yes, God. Yes, God. Yes, God. Amen.